when you look at her specifically, her female audience is near the top. She was in the 96th percentile. Uh, her Gen Z audience, she was at the 50th percentile. But then we take into account millennials, she was in the 90th percentile. And when you start to look across music, gaming, international affairs, luxury, she again was in very high percentiles. Hello everyone, welcome to a very special edition of the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm your host of this episode, Sports Pro Digital Editor, Tom Bassam, and I say special edition because this episode is all about the Sports Pro 50 Most Marketable Athletes 2021. Uh, for this year's edition of the list, we have changed things up slightly which we can come on to a little bit later. But for those of you who want to just find out about, find out the list, find out who's number one, you can do that over at 50mm.sportspromedia.com where you can get the full 50mm experience, really dive into some of the data and insights around the list, find out a little bit about how and why those athletes have been ranked where they are and get a full feel for, for this year's list and the, the class of 2021. To dive into that list a little bit more, I'm speaking to a couple of very, very important people in putting together and really honing in on who are the 50 most marketable athletes in the world this year. Uh, firstly, uh, up first is Daniel Kirshner from Greenfly, our presenting partner for this year's list. And a little bit later on, I'll be speaking to Scott Lewis, who is head of strategic initiatives at Zoomf, to really get an idea about the methodology behind this year's 50 most marketable list up first with daniel we dive into some of the key themes how and why some of the athletes are placed where they are and what this list tells us about athlete marketability in 2021 you're listening to the sports pro podcast hi daniel welcome to the uh, sports pro podcast it's a, a real pleasure to have you on um, thanks for joining us it's great to be here tom thank you no worries. So, I mean, let's kind of dive straight into it. We're here to talk about the 50 most marketable list, always one of um, Sports Pro's major pieces of uh, content we, that we do throughout the year. Um, and you guys at Greenfly have been heavily involved this year. Can I maybe just start by getting your initial reaction to the list? I mean, it's always a, a big one to kind of get your head around to start with, I think. Yeah, my initial reaction was one of sort of both surprise and excitement. Um I think anybody can put together a list of, you know, who has the biggest followers on Instagram and just rank those. And what I really love about the approach um, that, uh, you know, that was taken with the methodology around this list was to really try to get at uh, the connections that uh, athletes formed with their audiences and really look at marketability from that perspective. And so I think the results were interesting because they're not just, you know, based on you know, follower counts, but really based on the, on the strength of those connections and looking at some other factors. So it was pretty cool to see the top three athletes on the list are all, are all women, which is very interesting. Um, there were a, a very large number of, uh, of uh, uh, female soccer players or football players, as you would say, in, in every part of the world except the United States, um, which I think speaks to like how, how strong um, those audience connections are. And the kind of marketability that you see there, um, you know, a, a lot of the the huge names that you would expect are on this list because they're incredibly powerful from any angle that you look at it. Uh, but I, I really I like that this list. I think this list is something that people can debate, uh, can discuss. I mean, we can dive in a little bit on on the methodology. But I think the point here is to actually provide some kind of new information about about which athletes are are forming the strongest connections with their audience, how that feeds into marketability, really looking at marketability from a social perspective, because marketability, you know, the, the best person for a, 
a you know rental car TV ad is is not necessarily the, the most powerful person on on a social media platform. And really looking at it from that perspective, I think um, yielded some surprising but also exciting, debatable results uh, that hopefully uh, people will find informative and um, and shift their perspective a little bit on on what marketability means in this in this uh, in this world that we're living in right now. Yeah, I think I think you made some raised some interesting points there. I, I mean. For those people who haven't got the list in front of them, um, we should probably dive in uh, with the kind of the top 10 or so. Great for me personally. I mean, I think a very interesting narrative, especially coming out of the Olympic Games to see Simone Biles as number one. Was that something that perhaps you, was that something you expected or was, or do you feel like that was a, or do you feel like that's kind of come as a bit of a surprise? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly it's probably less of a surprise than it would have been if maybe we'd, we'd uh, looked at this list a, a, a few weeks earlier. It's hard to, it's, a, it's hard to say that there's, I mean, if you look at what athlete has dominated the public discussion the most over the last month, I mean, I think you'd have to say Simone Biles or perhaps number two on the list, Naomi Osaka. Um, so on some level, those are not surprising. Those are just people that are really um, in the discussion right now. And uh, people have very strong, feel very strong connections with those athletes. Uh, but still, it's interesting to see, you know, a, a, a gymnast, uh, number one, um, gymnastics is, you know, not a sport generally with the biggest audience. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, certainly as American, you know, she's really a, a, a national hero and and somebody that people uh, really love and feel very strongly about. So on, on some level, it was not surprising. On another level, it was pretty cool to see, um, you know, somebody not in one of the not in one of the world's biggest sports, uh, you know, to see a woman. Um, I thought that, you know, that was really interesting to see, but uh, on some level, if you had to say what athletes dominated the conversation the most in the past month, I mean, she'd, I think she'd be the top of almost anybody's list. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, just for, uh, just to clarify this, it's not a, it's not a ranking done over the last month. Um, I think that kind of actually speaks to the strength actually of the, the kind of methodology behind it, that it goes a little bit deeper than that. So it's probably just, it's probably just fair to point out, but yeah, Naomi Osaka, number two, she's actually been a previous, uh, previous, uh, previously top on this list. Um, but again, someone who, I mean, I like almost daily, she seems to, um, change the kind of what we think of as the traditional approach to interactions with her fans. So, I mean, I, I'm referencing the kind of the fact that she's seems uncomfortable talking to the press, which used to be the traditional way of um, interacting with fans, but it seems, it seems extremely comfortable with uh, the kind of the social media side of that interaction. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's part of athletes, um, you know, defining their own terms for how they interact with their, the public and the audience. And she's somebody who's really uh, led the charge on that. So social media, I mean, there's also, you know, a, a very popular and influential um, a Netflix documentary, uh, which, you know, which, which, which launched recently uh, featuring her as well. But I mean, she's somebody who's really, um, really led the charge in, in really defining uh, the athlete fan relationship in a way that, um, that I think really makes it, uh, you know, makes sense that she, that she appears so highly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just going through the rest of the top uh, the top ten. So Bowles one, Osaka two, Ashlyn Harris three, Canelo Alvarez four, uh, Paulo Dybala five, ahead of his teammate Cristiano Ronaldo at seven. Uh, sorry, at six, Ali Krieger at seven, Stefanos uh, Sitsipas at eight, Novak Djokovic at nine, and Alex Morgan at ten. Is there any other names there or kind of interesting narratives that stood out to you with some of those selections, Daniel? Well, it's interesting that we have a couple in the top ten <laughs> who are married to each other. <laughs> so Ashlyn Harris and, and, Al, and Ali Krieger is pretty remarkable. Uh, 
and uh, and and pretty cool to see that you know of course they're teammates and and they're a couple and they're just an incredibly powerful force uh, on on social media. So that was cool and interesting to see. I mean, obviously there's some names that that you know would not surprise anybody. I mean, seeing Ronaldo on on a list of most remarkable athletes is hardly a surprise. But it's interesting as you said, you know, looking at him and and Dybala and and you know the kind of the relationship between them and really again it really speaks to the fact this is a list speaking to um the kind of relative strength of of the connections people are forming and really looking at it from a somewhat different perspective so it's it's a it's it's pretty cool to see obviously a lot of household names um but the order might be a little bit surprising uh you know some of the the finer points are a little surprising and again it's it's really neat to see uh you know a couple uh who are our teammates and, and see that kind of mutually reinforcing relationship on, on social media. That's just incredible, incredibly powerful. So that's kind of a neat, a neat fact. Yeah. I, I mean, Ashlyn Harris at three, just looking at her kind of total follower count, which I think is a, is a metric that maybe has been previously used to measure, uh, to measure marketability. I mean, it's, I mean, it's minuscule to be completely frank compared to Cristiano Ronaldo further down the list. Yeah, you guys have had a kind of say in how that 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 uh, that's been established. What do you think that speaks to about Ashlyn Harris that she's that she's ranked in that position given given her, the sort of followers that she's got? Well, I mean, I think in many ways her number three is the most is you know, one of those surprising factors on this list. And what's interesting is that follower count was absolutely a factor taken into account on this list. It's a very significant. It's one of the high. It's one of the highest weighted factors. So it speaks to just how absolutely off the charts. Um, she was on all the other metrics that she was able to rank that she was able to rank so highly. I mean, this is not to say, you know, that a social post by athlete Ashlyn Harris is worth more than a social post by Ronaldo. That's obviously ridiculous. Like the size of the audience really matters. People pay a lot for Super Bowl ads for a reason, right? So, you know, that's not what this list is about. But again, you know, Ashlyn Harris is just a really interesting figure. She's, uh, you know, really uh, charted a very um, idiosyncratic uh, path. She has formed very strong connections um, outside of sports and things that really resonate on social media, whether that's, you know, tattoos and skateboarding and, and music and all these different things. Um, I believe that she was the first um, female athlete that Umbro did a contract with, you know, they recognized kind of early that, Hey, this is somebody who's really exceptional and, and kind of unusual. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think again, it does speak to the, the way that this looks at different factors and um, you know, she's somebody who's formed an incredibly strong uh, connection with their fans uh you know it's it, other factors that we took into that were taken into account here um the age of those fans um you know the the female percentage you know since especially when we look at marketability you look at who, who makes purchasing decisions and how those are made like you know uh, marketers weigh um the female demographic uh, very heavily so it's just interesting to see um somebody who can so um sort of uh, overperform and all those other factors really when you think about marketability from from that perspective you say okay you're right I, I believe she has even under a million followers on instagram a little under a million followers on instagram uh it's remarkable to see her at number three but again um you know the engagement when she when she shares something is incredibly high and the fact that she's built these strong relationships that are adjacent to sports are growing out of her her talents on the pitch i think you know really really speak to the importance of those factors and and speak to her marketability and if you're a marketer and you're thinking about things like ROI and you're thinking about, you know, what's going to resonate the most and, and what's going to make the most sense. Sometimes you want to make a big statement and hit the biggest possible audience. Sometimes you want the Super Bowl ad. Other times you want to find that voice that's going to connect so strongly, uh, you know, with the, with the, with a segment of the audience that you're trying to reach that, um, that, you know, that's what you're going to weigh most heavily. 
Yeah, I, I mean, just looking across the uh, the scores in each of her categories, and this is something that anyone who's uh, wants to have a look at the list can do. Um, you can you can dive into all of these kind of metrics. She she ranks. Uh, I mean, yeah, outstrips basically everybody apart from Simone Biles when it comes to that that um, that demographic score. Um, which yeah it says the kind of the strength of that. The other one I like the other one for me that I picked out Daniel I don't know if this is of interest to you too. So Paolo Dybala being ranked above Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean I thought feel like we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo a lot but in comparison to other people but it's interesting simply because they're they're on the same team, they play the same sport and no one probably would think of them as kind of being in the same category but here we are with Dybala ranked ahead of Ronaldo in 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 this uh, in this list. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, again, having Ronaldo in the in the top ten is 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 hardly a provocative statement, but um, you know, and 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 the ball is obviously just an you know an incredible uh, force as well. But again, I think it speaks to those other factors that that were looked at here, and um, and and how that they were how they were weighed, and you know, again, um, you know, just uh, looking at a, a kind of audience, uh, uh, you know, makeup and connection. Uh, you know, that's Ronaldo's is incredibly strong as well. Uh, but, you know, but the ball has looked at that perspective, you know, really uh, it yielded a, a somewhat surprising result. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, as we kind of go down uh, the list, I think sort of one of the other things that stood out for me and you mentioned it kind of off the top there was the sort of the amount, the number of the number of female athletes that we have in this. Uh, what do you kind of think that speaks to? Um in terms of where we are in 2021? Well, it's interesting. Again, uh, this list is really looking at marketability uh, from the perspective of social media. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, it does speak to the force of, 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 of women on social media and the strength of those connections. Also, when you're looking at, at, at marketability, you're, you're trying to reach um, a broad audience. I know there are a lot of studies that show that, that women, um, make purchasing decisions for households at a much higher rate than men. And so certainly that's a demographic that um, advertisers have looked for, you know, since the beginning of, of modern advertising in the early TV era, um, you know, they've looked to connect, uh, you know, with a female audience. I think it does speak to, I mean, again, this is not, you know, this, there was no analysis waiting whether the athletes were men or women, but it did look at, at the female composition as one of the factors, not, not, you know, not a huge factor, but, a, but still a significant one looking at the composition of the audience that was made up by women. So it does show, I think also, you know, women follow women at, at higher rates. Um, and that may not be surprising, but it's still meaningful. And, uh, and I think from an advertiser perspective, um, you know, it, it's incredibly important. I think when you look at this list, I mean, you know, a lot of the, the women on here, you know, they are women who really, uh, are, are part of the conversation in a huge way. Again, you know, look at, at, at Katie Ledecky uh, at number 28. Again, we're coming out of the Olympics, but again, you know, in, in the United States, just a, a national hero. Somebody that people love, you know, swimming's not the biggest sport in the world, but uh, she's somebody that people feel very strong uh, connection with. And I think it really, it really speaks to that. Katie Ledecky is one of the other sort of names a little bit further down the list. Was there anyone else in there that kind of really stood out to you um, as you kind of, as you flick through from uh, 10 down to 50? Well, I, I thought it was interesting that when you think about, I mean, the biggest sport in the world is obviously 
uh, football. You can you can call it soccer on here. We're uh, we're very we're very happy with that. I call it sports soccer. <laughs> you see my, my, my little bit of my, my discovery with it, but <laughs> no, in in the term. But yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, global football is the biggest sport in the world. Obviously, a ton of footballers on this on this uh, page. But but I think what's really interesting is, you know, you could say almost overrepresented. Uh, by audience, you see other sports. I mean, there are a number. There are a few surfers on this. On this, uh, you know, there are skateboarders. Um, you know, there's a, 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 a you know motorcycle racer, um, and it's it's interesting just to look at that. I do think um, that again, you look at the kind of strength of uh, snowboarders. I mean, you know, uh, Chloe Kim is a really interesting one. Um, you know, down at number forty-two. Uh, you know, I think those those sports again um, just have a really strong uh, cultural resonance. Um, there's a lot of, um, they're almost, uh, you know, kind of lifestyle sports in the sense that, that there's a lot of associated you know, fashion and, and style and, and music and, and things like that that are associated with them. And they, and they sort of outperform from the perspective of, of marketability. So I think it's interesting just to see uh, how well represented those other sports are on this list. I guess for me, looking through, there's, um, in terms of people that aren't there, American football. Uh, there's, there's Cam Newton, who is, uh, I believe at 46, if I've got my calculations right. Um, and that I think, I think he may be the only name in the top 50. Uh, what does that, what does that say about the NFL? Is that simply just these guys wear helmets or is that the, is that just kind of the demographics, which they, uh, they appeal to? So that's very interesting. I mean, I, I, I will say that sports with a strong regional following, uh, I think sort of underperform on here, right? So, uh, you know, American football, obviously, uh, arguably the most popular uh, sport in the United States from an audience perspective, but, you know, not that popular in the rest of the world. I mean, you know, there's some cricket on here, but not a lot, you know, rugby, you know, you just, it, there's, there's a definitely like a kind of regionality penalty just because the global reach of these people uh, is, is going to be smaller. So I definitely think that's a factor. I do think, that, um, you know, it's funny you say wearing the helmet, and I definitely think there's something to that. I do think certain sports, um, you know, drive a kind of uh, connection uh, between audience and personality um, more than others. And I think that does depend. I mean, basketball is a big one. You know, they're, they're not wearing helmets. There are not a lot of players on the, on the floor at a given time. There's just, just a few people that people are following. Um, you know, I think the sneaker culture around basketball is also kind of driven that. And so you end up with, you know, basketball being um, almost the quintessential sport of, of driving a kind of social connection between between player and audience. Um, football, tons of players on the field. They're all wearing helmets, um, you know, and I think it's just not a sport that's traditionally, you know, uh, driven the kinds of connections in the same way. Uh, American football players also tend to have pretty short careers. Um, which is, you know, I think probably another factor, uh, you know, there's not the, the time to kind of build the following in the same way. So I definitely think those are all factors, but there's definitely a kind of, you know, regionality, you know, any sport that, that has kind of a very strong regional bias. I mean, there's one baseball player on here, um, you know, which is in, in many ways surprising since baseball is a relatively regional sport, but, um, but, but I definitely think, you know, this is looking at the overall impact uh, from a global perspective. So I definitely think that was a factor as well. Yeah, I, actually, I kind of wanted to talk about um, talk about uh, Cody Bellinger, who is the MLB player on this list. He, I, I mean, he is not probably the most high profile uh, major league baseball player. Uh, there are definitely some that even like me, as an Englishman who doesn't watch much major league baseball, could could uh, could name. But 
what is it? What do you think is it about him in particular that is, is kind of pump, bumps him up ahead of say, uh, I don't know, a, a Mike Trout, um, yeah, Mike Trout, or even a, like a Shohei Otani who has appeal in Japan? First of all, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, you know Shohei Otani grow over time. Um, but I think when you look at Cody Bellinger, there there are a few factors. You know, Mike Trout's a very interesting uh, figure. Um, definitely one of the greatest baseball players of all time, no doubt about it. Uh, but he is, you know, somebody who really uh, does not have a huge presence uh, outside. You know, he does not have a, str- a huge, uh, you know, presence outside of of his play, and that's a decision you know that he's made. I mean, he's comfortable on the field. There's a there's a culture around baseball um, of of uh, you know of of uh, kind of uh, letting the performance speak for itself, and 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 you know having not having a bigger personality. Um, off the field, I think that's that's changed quite a bit over the last few years. But you know, I, I think um, you know, I think it's interesting looking at somebody like like Cody Bellinger, who really has projected a huge personality off the field. Um, obviously, helpful. He plays for the Dodgers, which is just you know a, a huge market team, and um, and uh, you know that that's something that I think is also relevant here. Anything kind of global footprint. But again, I think it just speaks to you know this is looking at it from the social media perspective, and. Um, it's not about who's the best player. Uh, it's not even necessarily about who has the biggest following, but it's about you know who is 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 kind of driving a kind of overperformance of engagement and interest and connection on social media. And and Cody Bellinger's really really done that, and I think that sets him apart. And uh, you know it's not a uh, it's not a, a criticism of, of Mike Trout. That's a decision that he's made that he would I'm sure say himself, right? He's that's not that's not what he's focused on. That isn't to say Cody Bellinger's not focused on his performance. But again, this is looking at a kind of mixture. Of athletic performance, personality, and and uh, you know connection with the audience, and and frankly, investment in social media is very relevant here. Like we looked at, uh, you know, frequency of posting and you know overall uh, engagement numbers on on social media. And so, if somebody is not invested in a social media presence or maintaining that, um, then they're not going to be as as marketable from a social media perspective, and they're not going to perform as highly on a list like this. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I guess in terms of investing in social media, you can't get much more invested in Cam than Cam Newton, who's literally made up his own language to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I sort of feel like we could we could pick through we could pick through the bones of this forever, but it may be not be it might not be the best use of time. Um, one per, one one other name I wanted to to kind of hone in on a little bit was uh, was Sydney McLaughlin, who um, is she. To right down the bottom, number forty-nine. Uh, recently, recently set a, a new world record and won a couple of golds over in, uh, in in Tokyo. It's not by any means a massive poster, but um, again, pro- probably just one that. I mean, is she one? Do you think that we'll, we'll see kind of trending upwards in the next few years? I, I absolutely think so. I mean, she, she's somebody who drove, uh, a, a, you know, a lot of coverage around the, around the games. Uh, and, um, you know, not just social media, but, you know, the kind of, the kind of athlete that's, you know, featured in people magazine and stuff like that, you know, where there's just a lot of, of, uh, of, of personality and, um, and, and thoughtfulness around, you know, her kind of, you know, presentation and connection with the audience, um, obviously just performed incredibly as well. So that was, uh, you know, again, this is not a snapshot in time. This is really, so it's kind of interesting that she, you know, appears as highly as she, she does, but I think coming out of the Tokyo games and really emerging as one of the absolute, uh, you know, breakaway stars, uh, from the games. And then somebody who seems to really be investing, uh, you know, in, in developing her, her, her image and, and presence, 
um, on social media and sort of adjacent media. I think, yeah, I think it, I'd be surprised if she doesn't, uh, if she doesn't rise over time on this list. Yeah, she's got a, a home game to look forward to. In, uh, I mean, it's a couple of Olympics away. She should probably still be there by then, but she could well be the uh, the the much coveted face of LA 2028. Moving away sort of then from the individual athletes, uh, perhaps if there's a couple of trends that you've maybe identified from from the list that kind of speak to the, the, the broader the broader narrative, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing we talked about is the is the the large number of female athletes, and I, I think that's you know that's also a, a sort of general trend in the sense that um, you know viewership around uh, female um, sports is going up a lot. You know, it's growing, which is not uh, you know true of a lot of uh, you know traditional sports right now, uh, which is interesting or, or men's or, or men's performance. Um, I think it really speaks to you know gen, just a kind of engagement level um, around female athletes that is is something that I think we'll, we'll continue to see. Uh, accelerate over time. I already mentioned the fact that we see a lot of non-traditional sports. I think it was interesting even looking at the ratings for the Olympics that a lot of the new sports really overperformed, you know, skateboarding, surfing, um, rock climbing, you know, really uh, overperformed. And I think that speaks to um, just an audience that's that's um, interested in different sports and also often interested in watching things that they do. You know, there's a lot of people that, that go to climbing gyms these days. They want to watch rock. I'm not saying there's rock climber on this list, but, you know, wouldn't be surprised if in a few years we see, um, you know, rock climbers on this list. But just that kind of there's definitely um, I definitely think we're seeing uh, a kind of. Um, I don't know if we'd call it a splintering of interest, but, um, you, you know, there's ability with, with new technology and streaming platforms to follow more sports uh, and different sports and to build those kinds of connections. So I think that's a trend that we're continuing to see. I think another trend um, that we've seen over the past few years is that people that, that sort of take a stance or are outspoken on uh, on social issues, on mental health, on things like that, you know, that was considered a kind of risk or a penalty from a marketability perspective, um, even just a few years ago. I think that's something that, um, you know, athletes have really embraced. And I think, you know, marketers have embraced that as well. And so I definitely think a lot of these people on this list, I mean, you know, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka are two of the greatest athletes of all time, right, in terms of their performance on in their sport. So I'm not saying that they're on this list because they've been outspoken on, on mental health and social justice issues. But at the same time, you know, they're not penalized by that, uh, you know, from a marketability perspective. And in fact, I think they drive the conversation even more. And I think that's something that we will continue to, to, to see, to see more of. And, um, I think at the end of the day, you know, people want personality, they want authenticity. They don't want like a kind of stage managed veneer. And so I think the athletes that you see really overperform are the ones that have really let their audience, uh, into kind of a, a sense of their, of their true selves and, and formed that kind of personal, passionate connection that, um, you know, which is why we've seen, you know, social media be such a, such a force from a marketing perspective. It's really about the connection. It's about a sense of, okay, this is something that's been recommended by somebody I trust and feel that I know on some level and not somebody who I feel is just cashing a check, uh, you know, to, 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 uh, to, to, to wear something, but somebody who, who I think, you know, genuinely believes in, in, in what they're talking about and the brands that they're talking about. And so I think, uh, you know, I think we'll continue to see that trend as well. Yeah. I, you, you picked out, um, Asaka and Biles there, but um, you got Me Megan Rapinoe in there as well. Uh, on the men's side, there's, uh, there's Steph Curry, who's extremely vocal about, um, social issues, LeBron James as well, who despite arguably being the uh, second greatest basketball player ever, um, doesn't shy away from confrontation, even with sitting U.S. presidents. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's 
it's a trend we'll continue to see grow. And I, I completely agree with you. The, the, the cause or the kind of, um, yeah, the, the, that kind of purpose driven, uh, partnership or pu- purpose driven interaction is really going to be, uh, something that I think people, especially in younger generations continue to care more and more about. Well, we've kind of been through, we've been through athletes. We've been through, uh, the trends coming out of this. Let's flip it on its head slightly. What does this list, do you think, tell you about athlete marketing in 2021? What does it tell you about like what brands almost want or uh, that side of the business wants from it? Yeah, I think I think this list, um, you know, uh, in terms of what it tells you about athlete marketing, I think it tells you that uh, that marketers are not just looking for the kind of biggest stars, the biggest audience, but they're looking for people that have formed really strong connections with their audiences. I think people appreciate, and it's part of just the way marketing's evolved. It's not just about buying the biggest ad on the biggest stage that reaches the most number of eyeballs, but it's about, you know, drawing a connection uh, between, um, you know, somebody who's advocating something and, and what they're advocating and really looking to reach an audience that's not, um, you know, valuable just in terms of its size, but valuable in terms of having the kinds of dynamics that you think are relevant for your for your brand and, and building those kinds of connections. And so I think, um, you, you know, just the way that that uh, I think it speaks to this way that advertising has evolved, you know, away from just, you know, big TV moments, not those are not still relevant, but looking for much more uh, kind of niche opportunities where you're going to, um, you know, really, um, really be able to connect with an audience and get their attention in a way. Um, that's going to be uh, you know, more valuable than just just having a kind of you know, passing exposure to something. All right. I think then that that is maybe a good place to leave it. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I think you've provided some fascinating insight there and I hope that um, everyone else gets a chance to check out the list, have a look at what we've uh, all been working on so busily for the last month or so. Um, there's going to be plenty of 50 Most Marketable content, but uh, Daniel Kitchener, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Tom. Really enjoyed it. Hello, I'm Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm talking to smart leaders inside and outside sport to get their ideas on managing change and building towards a better future. You can listen in on the Playbook podcast, a collection of candid, agenda-free conversations full of practical advice your company can work with. Get your new episodes right here on the Sports Pro feed. And check out the rest of the series wherever you get your podcasts. For the next portion of the podcast, we hear from Scott Lewis, who is the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Zoomf, who helped put together the modelling behind this year's list. So without any further ado, here's Scott. Scott, welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Um, Absolute pleasure to have you here with us. Really, really interested to, to hear a little bit more about how the 50 Most Marketable Athletes methodology came together this year. Um, for those of you who don't know, Scott Lewis is um, from our, one of our partners for this list, the list this year, uh, Zoom. Um, and those guys have been doing the modeling uh, on exactly how we put together the list. But I'm probably not the best person to explain that. Scott is. Um, so Scott, perhaps if you could just off the bat, give us a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of a sort of a run through on, on the, the methodology behind this year's list. Well, Tom, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here and to discuss such an exciting topic. 
First and foremost, let me start at the, the very top. You know, marketability can mean so many different things. And so from that, let's set the table for what we mean by marketability. And by that, this is something I take from when I worked at the NBA League office and we covered the WNBA and the D League. We looked at marketability as driving consumer purchase decisions. So let's focus on that. That's what we're talking about. And when you talk about that, what we started to see, and I've seen Bloomberg and Forms reported that at least here in the U.S., 80% of consumer purchase decisions are driven by women. And that's why marketers tend to target that demo. And so for that reason, what I'm going to walk you through is a model that takes your traditional social metrics, which I think have been dominant in previous lists of this manner. And so that looks at how many followers do you have? How many impressions? What's your engagement rate? And so what is your social presence? What I then, and what I should say we at Zoom then did is, we harnessed another important component of the Zoom platform is that we can mine the social profiles to obtain some very important demographic and psychographic information. So again, take that those social metrics, which tend to favor male athletes, European footballers like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi and Neymar, and now let's not just look at the numbers of followers they have, but what do they look like in terms of demographics and psychographics? And what we did was we created a model that looked at what percentage of your following is female, what percentage of your following is Gen Z, what percentage is millennial. Um, that wasn't to exclude non-millennials like myself, but it was, to, again, to look at if you are trying to drive purchase decisions, you're trying to perhaps reach certain demos. Maybe not everyone, but certainly a lot of marketers out there. So we're trying to set that table to say, here are some key demos that marketers are trying to reach. Women, Gen Z, millennials. And let's have that account for, uh, say, a quarter of someone's score. So the social metrics account for half of a score, and then the audience affinities and analytics account for the other half of the score. And within those two halves, if you will, it's roughly half breakdown between when we start to look at the demographics and then the psychographics. So the demographics, yeah, we're looking at percent female. That accounts for almost a fifth of an athlete's score. So someone may have 10 million followers, but if those followers are in a certain demo, they may not have scored as high. Conversely, someone may have a million followers, but have a very attractive audience when you're starting to think of consumer purchase decisions, women, Gen Z, millennials. And so that's why it's, it's created a list that is different than I think other lists that I have seen because it's looking at those two halves. Want to finish that off by saying the last sort of quarter of that scoring profile looks at psychographics, more specifically audience affinities. So what we're able to look at and build kind of a fan attractiveness is you've got these million or these 10 million followers. What is their affinity at a high level for music, gaming, international and global affairs, and luxury goods, the all-important luxury items when you're looking to get endorsements? So I know I've just said a lot, but this model encompasses a lot. The Zoom, the world of Zoom encompasses a lot. I've had a great last year that I have pre, that I have been a part of the Zoom team and have enjoyed every minute of working with some incredible people. And, and this is one exercise that we undertook to see, can we take the data from the platform and now create something separate to look at how you sort of build value around specific athletes, knowing that You've got that traditional side of the house, and then you've got that audience side of the house. So take those two halves together, and then you get a score.
And that's what the list comprises. Yeah, I, just to clarify for for the listeners, I mean, you guys can all go in and check out the uh, the fifty most marketable list that's uh, up and available now. Um, but they're they're essentially it's scored across uh, five five demographics. So we've got frequency, reach, engagement, fan demographics, and fan attractiveness. And I think probably no one best illustrates the the kind of the strength of that demographic score more than a name that maybe a lot of people would be surprised to find at number three. Uh, that's Ashlyn Harris. Uh, I mean, perhaps, Scott, if you could just kind of explain how it is that um, someone who is absolutely dwarfed in terms of um, follow account uh, and impressions on her posts is able to rank so highly. Yeah, and admittedly, trying to describe, I think anyone who has built a scoring model, to try and describe it without providing that visualization of seeing it is a challenge. So I'm glad you asked about, yeah, ultimately there are five individual scores uh, from the subcategories that then add up to a score. It's a lot easier if you see it, but just keep in mind those two halves. To get back to Ashlyn Harris specifically, yeah, this is someone that I would imagine not nearly as many people have heard of as they have the other top-ranked athletes. And when it comes to Ashlyn Harris, and I'm a big soccer fan, men's and women's, so I, I have heard of her. I've seen her play. When you look at her specifically, her female audience is near the top. She was in the 96th percentile. Uh, her Gen Z audience, she was at the 50th percentile. But then we take into account millennials, she was in the 90th percentile. And when you start to look across music, gaming, international affairs, luxury, she again was in very high percentiles. And so maybe she doesn't have the most followers, but then again, marketability, not every brand is starting off with the same budget and looking to reach a worldwide audience. So this may be, she may be a good partner for a smaller brand that is looking to find a niche audience. And at Zoom, one of the sayings that our founder, Amir Zanozi, uh, has coined and and someone even sent him a shirt with it on it is niches get riches and that's what our our world has become so admittedly not every brand should read this the same way but when you ask about Ashlyn Harris in particular a niche brand should take a very close look at her given the attractiveness of her audience and they should determine whether her audience demographic and psychographics meets the target audiences that they are trying to reach. So again, I want to make that known is that that's what this is geared towards. Not everyone should treat this the same way, uh, but this provides a different insight into how these athletes could be marketable to certain brands. Yeah, I don't want to kind of hone in too much on the uh, on the, the football or soccer player kind of side of this, but I mean, the one that kind of the thing that stands out to me when I first saw the list was, uh, and this is something that I actually mentioned with uh, with Daniel in the first part of the pod, Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, like a phenomenon in terms of in terms of reach and engagement, ranked at number six. By no means, uh, like by no means low in this risk in in the list, uh, but perhaps not where people would expect him to be. It, why why is it that Cristiano Ronaldo isn't number one? Yeah, and when you look at his score, I mean, it's not like he's way down the list at number six. He's within 11 points of Simone Biles, who's number one, and five points within Naomi Osaka, who's number two. Cristiano Ronaldo, if we were do doing a traditional list where you were looking more at social metrics, number of followers, uh, number of posts, total impressions, then he's at or near number one. When you start to look at the audience, his audience is not unattractive by any means, 
but he was just slightly behind some of the others who were ranked ahead of him. So again, not him being at number six is not in any way to suggest he's not as attractive, but that's someone that is geared towards a much larger brand uh, that is trying to look at extending their marketability and, and, and ability to drive purchase decisions. That would be more for a larger brand uh, compared to what, who we were just talking about with Ashlyn Harris. Yeah, that kind of that shows up in the in the in the in the like the metric scoring that you've got him for as well, doesn't it? In terms of the the fan attractiveness and the fan demographic ratings, right? Yeah, again, his scores are not underperforming by any means, but he is not as high as. Uh, you know, Naomi Osaka is probably 50% higher in terms of fan attractiveness. And that gets back to those audience affinities and psychographics for music, gaming, international affairs, and, and luxury. Uh, that's where Ronaldo didn't rank as high. Yeah, let's let's go into the kind of the, the, the number one and number two. Uh, Simone Biles, I mean, she's a kind of... While we dug in on Ashlyn Harris and talked about the, her, her sort of her, the fan demographic score, she, like Simone Biles is the only person that outscores her in that category. Um, what does like what, what do you see? What do you see in her numbers? Again, very attractive when you start to look at uh, percentage audience that is female. She was in the hundredth percentile, at the very top. Uh, that doesn't mean a hundred percent of her audience is female. That just means when you look at that that breakdown compared to all the other athletes in the list, she was at the top. Uh, and so that's that's some marketability right there. And as I said at the onset, we define marketability as driving consumer purchase behavior. When you look at uh, Gen Z, she was in the 50th percentile, but then in terms of millennials, 88th percentile. So right now you have a really attractive audience geared towards those who marketers tend to look at in terms of driving consumer purchase behavior. Um, when I start to look at some of the audience affinities, when you just look at music, just at, if, if you were looking to tie in uh, musicians or bands or music partners, she's in the 98th percentile. International global affairs, the 79th percentile. Luxury goods, the 73rd percentile. So what that gets at is a really attractive person in terms of driving consumer purchase behavior. That's where Simone Biles... Uh, scored very well. Her social metrics also scored very well. When you look at the number of followers that she has, uh, and she has over seven and a half million followers, and we looked at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, her post activity and frequency is also pretty good, and her engagement rate uh, was uh, sort of in the mid-range. So all together, the complete package, not just who you have, but what does your audience look like? Why should marketers target you to reach them? That's where she comes out ranked number one. And, and her presence most recently in the Olympics also uh, helps. And, and her profile and sort of leading the way from larger brands like Nike towards smaller niche brands uh, like Athleta. And so she's kind of leading that move along with Allison Felix, uh, uh, another successful athlete uh, in the U.S. Olympic team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's zoom out a little bit, and uh, rather than sort of as we have been talking about individuals here, what like from a kind of statistics or a analytics standpoint, shall we say, what does this what does this list say about social marketing and uh, social media and the sort of the athlete marketability market in twenty twenty one? Yeah, I think what it says is female athletes have achieved 
some higher engagement rates on social. And I, and we're not, I don't think this is the first time that's been discussed. Uh, I've been hearing that more and more. And a lot of our research has been showing that, that women's soccer players, particularly in the NWSL, as well as, uh, uh, professional, uh, athletes in the WNBA are achieving higher engagement rates to the point where they now rank higher on these types of lists than they have in the past, especially when you start to look at their audience. So that's what this is saying. If you just want to take a traditional list of who has the most followers, who has the most impressions, you're going to end up with that traditional list, which will have a higher representation of male European uh, professional footballers. When you start to integrate the audience and the engagement rates, you end up with a more diverse list. Uh, and, and that's where we had a lot of fun putting this together to see what story that told. Uh, and there are many stories that could be told off of this. And we've created a model where the model is flexible. Uh, it's possible to try different weightings. But at the basis is, what is your philosophy? What do you define as marketability? And then what feeds into that? And so I think you know our approach was looking at consumer purchase, decision-making and consumer purchase behavior and taking those two halves of what does your audience look like just from a size standpoint and then what do they look like in terms of their actual makeup. So that's what I, you know, I think I draw from the, the list. What I also enjoy about the list is, well, there was one baseball player in there, Cody Ballinger. The last time I saw a list of this type, there were no baseball players. Uh, There's a couple of cricketers in there. And so this is very much a global list. And as I scroll down from, say, numbers 50 to 100, I can see some prospects that I think would move up. Some Olympians like swimmer Simone Manuel uh, and the surfer Carissa Moore, that if I was a marketer and I looked at and said, I may not have the means to get in the top 50, who's in the next group of 50? Those are some names you could look to. And if you are fighting for a budget, as I always was when I worked at baseball teams and an MLS team, uh, you need the data behind it to justify why you want to spend the money to create a an athlete as a partner. Uh, and this provides the data to help make that case. Finally, I think, when it comes to the marketer's side of this, so what should marketers be looking at this model and saying uh, and seeing um, from, from their perspective as, the, as, as they kind of maybe think about a different approach to athlete marketing in 2021? Yeah, I think there's an important way they can look at this list to first look at their own targeted marketing and ask themselves, who are they trying to reach? Who would they like to reach? And then they can start to look at the audience profiles and see if there is an athlete whose audience demographics and psychographics, again, either matches where they have previously marketed or where they would like to market. That's what I feel it's, it's more about. Find that niche that matches where you're trying to go. This is not to say you need to go at the number one or number two or number five person. It's to say, who are you ultimately trying to reach? Who do you want to reach? And what athletes might help you get there? Great stuff, Scott. Uh, I think that is probably the best place to leave it. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Tom. That is it for this year's 50 Most Marketable Athletes podcast. I hope you've enjoyed what you heard. And as I said at the top of the show, please do go and check out the list in its entirety at 50mm.sportspromedia.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 